On this week's episode of This Week in Linux, Asahi Linux announced a major change with a new flagship distro for using Linux on Apple Silicon. GNOME and KDE released some exciting news for their respective desktop environments. SystemD has a cool new feature called Soft Reboot. And we have a whole lot of distro news for you from Arch Linux, Zorin OS, MX Linux, and more. If this is your first twill, This Week in Linux is the news show that keeps you up to date with what's going on in the Linux and open source world. So let's jump right into your source for Linux good news. This episode of Twill is sponsored by Linbit. More on them later. Up first this week, we have some news from the Asahi Linux project, and it's pretty exciting. There is a new flagship distro for running Linux on Apple Silicon, and that is Fedora Asahi Remix. And they announced this recently at the Flock to Fedora event. For those unfamiliar, the Asahi Linux project was created to make it possible to run Linux on Apple Silicon, such as the Apple M1s and M2s. Asahi Linux was founded by Hector Martin, aka Markin, a seasoned reverse engineer and developer, and highlights of stuff, if you're not familiar with his work, he's done work with the, putting Linux on the PS4 and a variety of different things for the Wii homebrew ecosystem and much more. They are aiming to have a full release of the Fedora Asahi Remix at the end of this month, but those who are completely impatient can check out the current state of the Remix in the unstable form, which I'll have linked in the show notes for those who want to know details about how to do that. They also say, and I quote, We're confident that this new flagship will get us much closer to our goal of a polished Linux experience on Apple Silicon. For those who aren't sure why this work is being done in the first place, well, let's face it, Apple is a very powerful company and not supporting Apple hardware would be a negative to the Linux community in the long run. So this is why I am glad to see such progress being done by the Asahi Linux project. And if you'd like to learn more about Fedora Asahi Remix or Asahi Linux in general, you'll find links in the show notes. The GNOME team is currently reconsidering what window management should look like in their desktop environment. The current system is fairly traditional in that it works with windows loading on top of each other in a stacking manner. Now, this new concept is kind of a combination of stacking and tiling. Some people are saying that GNOME has a tiling system already, but that's just two windows snapped, 50% on the left and 50% on the right of the screen. And while that is nice to have, that's not tiling. So this is really interesting because I'm a big fan of tiling, but I also don't want it to be always there. The method that GNOME is considering is called a mosaic tiling type of system, and it kind of does a combination of both. Here's what GNOME developer Tobias Bernard says about this windowing system. Mosaic is the default behavior. You open a window, it opens centered on the screen at a size that makes the most sense for the app. Now, what this means is that if an application is not needing to be maximized, it won't start maximized. It'll start at a size that makes sense. For example, if you have a calculator, you don't need a ton of space for that calculator. You just need a simple vertical layout like you would expect a calculator to have. So it does that. And a web browser would make more sense to be a maximized window. So it would do that. And that is a really cool concept. And it's also interesting because the GTK toolkit already has that kind of information available if, an, if a developer wants to put it in there. So it's not gonna be able to detect on every application, but a lot would be able to do it. So I think this is really interesting. 
And also Tobias goes on to say, as you open more windows, the existing windows move aside to make room for the new ones. If a new window doesn't fit, it moves to its own workspace. And if the window layout comes close to filling the screen, the windows are automatically tiled. Now, this is very cool. And also this moving to its own workspace thing reminds me of Mac OS. When you maximize a window, it will create a virtual desktop specifically for that window. And that is a very interesting thing. So it's kind of taking that idea, combining it with traditional style and combining it with tiling, which is very cool. And there's also going to be a theory with having manual tiling if this was implemented. I like using a lot of applications and I have a lot running all at the same time. And I've used tiling systems, traditional systems, and they both have pros and cons. Having this combination of automatically tiling, manual tiling, and stacking depending on the situation sounds fantastic. But at the same time, this is just something they're considering and talking about. They say, on the design side, the biggest uncertainty is the mosaic behavior. It's a novel approach to window management without much prior art. That's exciting, but it also makes it a bit risky to jump headfirst into implementation, end quote. It might be risky, sure, but remember, you gotta risk it to get the biscuit. So let's do this. In other GNOME news, there's also a discussion about potentially replacing the activities button in the top left of the panel with a workspace switcher. And personally, I think this would be really good because the activities button really doesn't do anything. It just opens the overview and the term activities doesn't really make any sense and never has. So it should just be overview or menu or something else. But I think that re replacing it with this switcher for workspaces or slash virtual desktops is a really cool idea. So I'd like to see that. And if you'd like to learn more about all of this GNOME related news, you'll find links in the show notes. This episode of Twill is brought to you by Linbit. Linbit has been keeping digital businesses running for over 20 years. They're the makers of open source products like DRBD, which is high availability software that has been part of the Linux kernel since 2010, and LinStore, industry-leading open source software-defined storage. Linbit has an active presence in the open source community as well because they collaborate with the community to help identify and build new features to their products. Limbit provides enterprise-grade software that runs on a variety of platforms without vendor lock-in, which is really cool because no matter what your OS is and no matter what kind of hardware you want to use, including off-the-shelf hardware, you're good to go with DRBD and LinStore. And also with DRBD and LinStore, you can have high-speed replicated block storage in almost any configuration, whether it's Kubernetes, Apache Cloud, or Open Nebula. There's even DRBD proxy for long-distance replication. Linbit provides really awesome services like DRBD, and DRBD is a really good way to make sure you have good data recovery and backups. And if you ever have like a cluster with multiple nodes and one of those nodes fails, you can have rest assurance that the backup nodes will have the data that you want. So if you're interested in checking out any of the software from Linbit, I highly recommend it. So go to linbit.com to check it out. That's L-I-N-B-I-T.com. The KDE team are making some changes for Plasma 6. And not only are these changes, but in fact, they're removing stuff. And change is something everyone loves. So let's see what they are removing and if we should get mad about it. 
So K hotkeys is one of the things they're gonna be removing because some parts don't work on Wayland. They're also replacing this with K global Excel, which is another kind of thing of being custom shortcuts and custom hotkeys. So you would be, still be able to do functions that you would expect in K hotkeys, just not everything. And it kind of makes sense that K hotkeys would be removed if you already have another one that you're replacing it with. The only thing that's a downside here is that you're gonna be losing mouse gestures, not the entire concept of mouse gestures, but just being able to create your own custom mouse gestures. And that's kind of a bummer, but they did say that it might be added in the future to K Global Excel. So fingers crossed for that. The next thing we're gonna talk about is the windowed widgets K runner runner. So that's a really weird way to say it, but let me explain. So in Plasma 5, various widgets appear in the search results when you activate them in KRunner. And when you do, it will make the widget appear on the desktop in a windowed form. Now, I'm not sure exactly why anyone would want this, but it was they were saying in the blog post that they did it because they could. And well, okay, fair enough, but I think it makes sense that they're going to remove that. And for those who don't know what KRunner is, check out the video I'm gonna link in the cards and also in the show notes about the 17 plasma tips, maybe, I think, how did I phrase that? 17 things that KDE can do you didn't know about or something like that, I'm, I don't remember. But it's a lot of cool tips. It's 17 plasma tips inside of like seven minutes. So check that out. And I talk about KRunner and why it's awesome in that video. So I'll have that linked in the show notes. Also, they're gonna be removing low quality task switchers, which basically is the alt tab switching functionality. They're gonna remove grid, informative, small icons, text only, and thumbnail switchers. And the reason they're going to is because they're not more effective than the other options that they already had, and they're basically removing code that people aren't using anyway, so it makes sense here. Also, the Air Plasma styles being removed, and per activity power settings are gonna be removed. Now, this was actually pretty cool, and I like this feature, but it didn't work all that well. Sometimes it would work, and sometimes it wouldn't work, so, I stopped trying to use it, and then eventually I forgot it even existed until this blog post came out. So it would be really cool if this did work, but it makes sense they're going to remove it because there's activities are a very cool system that are not necessarily clear exactly what they are, but uh, it's, imagine a workspace or virtual desktop switching system that also has extra features specifics to like different panels and different layouts and that sort of stuff. That's basically what activities are for those who don't know. Now, the next thing we're gonna talk about is the removal of the icons view in the system settings. Now, this is okay in my opinion because basically the new sidebar style is much more modern, it's more efficient, and I, I just like the experience of that overall. And the icons view looks very, very dated. So really no distro uses this feature anyway, except for SUSE and OpenSUSE. And it's one of the gripes I have for their KDE Plasma implementation because it doesn't look very good. It looks kind of old. So it's kind of funny that KDE is deciding to fix this issue for them by removing the ability to do it. <laughs> so there you go. For those who are not a fan of that decision by SUSE and OpenSUSE, now you know in the future that won't be there anymore because it just won't exist. <laughs> <laughs> so the next thing we're going to cover, and the last thing we're going to cover, is the removal of the picture of the day for Unsplash. Now this is actually a bummer because this is a really cool feature, and the reason they're getting rid of it is because of some legal licensing type of issues of just uncertainty. So that's sad, but at the same time, I get it. 
Now, for those who don't know what this is, the picture of the day is a way to modify your wallpaper to automatically change every day based on a given service. So for example, in this case, you could use Unsplash and use the image as your wallpaper. And then there's also other services too. So it's not going to remove the ability to do picture of the day, just the Unsplash version of it. So yeah, that's, that's, it's not terrible, but I would like to see that stay. But at the same time, I get why they're getting rid of it. Anyway, the blog post mentions, you may have noticed that some of there's a recurring theme here. It doesn't work well. It's not integrated well with anything else. And unnecessarily duplicates, uh, duplicating features, a buggy, confusing, abandoned, obsolete. Basically, they're getting rid of stuff that needs to be getting rid of for a variety of reasons, whether it doesn't work, whether it's technical debt, or just whatever. And I think that's totally good because one of the complaints that people have with KDE Plasma is that you can do everything and there's configurations for everything. And sometimes there's multiple ways to do the exact same thing with multiple different applications in KDE Plasma and KDE Application Suite. And it kind of just creates a confusion. So I am happy to see this sort of effort being done. It's kind of weird to be in favor of removal stuff, but that's where we are. If you'd like to learn more about this, links in the show notes. A new version of Systemd has been released with version 254. That's right, 254. As usual, there is a long list of changes, including a new list paths command for system control or system CTL, the ability to send POSIX signals to services, improved support for confidential virtual machines, and a lot more. One of the most notable features added to this release is a soft reboot feature that restarts user space while leaving the kernel in place. So basically, a self-reboot is similar to a regular reboot, but that it affects user space only. Initiating a systemd self-reboot will shut down any running services and other units and then optionally switch to any new root file system and then bring back up all the user space services without rebooting the kernel. This self-reboot function is very interesting and potentially would be really cool combined with an immutable distro because this could allow a very extremely quick reboot for updates when the updates don't include kernel changes. So that'd be really interesting to see if that can be implemented and how that would be. So if you'd like to learn more about the latest version of Systemd, you'll find links in the show notes. Inkscape has released a new version of this popular open source vector graphics application. Inkscape 1.3 brings improved performance, several new features, and a solid set of improvements to a few existing features. Some of the changes include a new shape builder tool, a document resources dialog for management of drawings, a new pattern editor, and more. The shape builder tool creates a, all sorts of different shapes in a much more quickly and efficient way and combines paths through clicking and dragging to create new paths. Additionally, Inkscape 1.3 adds the search box back to the layers and objects dialog, which is very important for projects with a huge list of layers and objects, and like most of my projects are, so that's fantastic news for me. And the PDF import code has been rewritten for better performance as well. Inkscape is a great application that proves open source software can be professional grade, and I, for one, can't wait to play with this new release. If you'd like to learn more and check it out for yourself, links in the show notes. Arch Linux is a rolling release distro, so I rarely cover it on this show because there's just not a release to talk about. But this week is an exception to do that, so let's talk about Arch Linux 2023.08.01. It's the date it was released. 
Before we talk about all of this and what's new with Arch Linux, other than everything, I want to first address something that sometimes gets overlooked with Arch Linux coverage elsewhere. Arch Linux is a great Linux distribution. There's a ton of cool features, it offers a lot of flexibility, and so many benefits. But I think it is important to mention that Arch Linux is not for everyone, and specifically not for people who are new to Linux. If you are a beginner to Linux, I highly recommend trying, well, something else, because Arch is not for everyone. With that said, let's talk about the latest state of Arch Linux. The latest edition of Arch Linux comes powered by the Linux 6.4 kernel and has a lot of changes to their installer, with Arch Install 2.6 being released and included in this release. This new version of Arch Install adds the ability to have separate slash boot and slash boot slash ESP partitions via xboot LDR in systemd boot, making use of PyParted as part of the overhauling of the partitioning and adds Lemine, Limine, I'm not sure how you're supposed to say that. This is a bootloader that is now being added for support. They also added support for the Hyperland window manager and many more. We talked about the Hyperland window manager in a previous episode of Twill, so I'll have a link to that if you want to learn more about that in the show notes, as well as links to more details about this latest release of Arch Linux. The Zorin OS team have announced the latest release of their popular user-friendly Linux distribution with Zorin OS 16.3. 16.3 is based on Ubuntu 20.04 LTS, but it's being powered by the 5.15 LTS kernel from Ubuntu 22.04 LTS. So if you're, for those who don't know, Zorn OS is based on the LTS version of Ubuntu, and every couple of years is a whole new rebase and that is probably going to be happening fairly soon because I would assume that the current state of the 20.04 LTS base is going to be replaced by the 22.04 LTS base. Not sure exactly when, but that would be like Zorin OS 17. And it'd be very important to have the ability to do upgrading from 16.3 to 17. And that is why we're talking about this release because they've just added a new Zorin OS upgrader tool. Now, this gives you the ability to do major upgrades, not just minor upgrades. There's a little misunderstanding out there related to how this works. Friend of the show, Artyom Zorn, the, one of the creators of Zorn OS, came, uh, told me about how they're making this change and how the Zorn OS upgrader works differently from the regular upgrades. So there's point releases that have in-between LTS releases. So that instead of doing the full rebase, they're just continuing on the LTS and then making iterative changes on their own distro. Those don't need a major upgrade tool. The Zorin OS upgrader is for those major upgrade systems. So if you go from the 16.3 to 17, that would be a complete rebase of the underlying Ubuntu base system. So that would be a much more complicated update than the minor upgrades. And that's what this tool is for. So for those who didn't know or confused about what's the difference between the major upgrades and the minor upgrades or this upgrader tool and the previous upgrader tool, there you go, that's it. There's also been some improvements to the Zorn Connect features, which is based on KD Connect and a very cool system. And if you'd like to learn more about all of this with Zorn OS latest version, you can check out the latest episode of Destination Linux where we discuss this topic in much more depth. Also, be sure to check out the interview we had with Artyom on Destination Linux. I'll have that linked as well as everything else in the show notes. The latest version of MX Linux has been released to the world, so let's talk about MX Linux 23. 
MX Linux 23 is based on Debian 12 Bookworm. It uses SysV in it as the default init system, although for those who want to use systemd, you can do that as an option. It comes with three different editions, the XFCE version, the KDE Plasma version, and the Fluxbox version. The XFCE uses 4.18, KDE Plasma uses 5.27, and Fluxbox uses 1.3.7. Now, this also includes an update to the live boot menus, now having a more obvious check media function in the top level menu. The media will be checked and boot will continue if things are looking good. All editions now include the Orca screen reader as well as a screen magnifier tool, and that is very nice for accessibility purposes. Now, there's also a new application being added called the User Installed Packages tool, which creates a file containing a list of all the packages you have installed as the user, so you can easily reference this for other systems you might want to install MX Linux on. Now, there's also been a lot of work done on the Snapshot system, MX Snapshot, as well as much more. But I also want to point out that there's a new change to the audio system, all editions now use Pipewire and Wireplumber instead of Pulse Audio, which is great to see because I like seeing this being widely adopted in all these different distributions that we've seen now. I've been using Pipewire for years now, and it is so good that it has become a must-have for a distro for me to be a daily driver candidate. So I'm really happy to see that. There's also been a lot more other stuff in the latest release of MX Linux. If you'd like to learn more about those or just check out MX Linux 23 for yourself, you'll find links in the show notes. The Hoonix team have released a brand new version of their privacy-focused Linux distribution. Hoonix 17 sees a ton of changes. Now it is based on Debian 12, Bookworm. It's also been updating the Tor browser to 12.5.1 and is now has enabled by default the using the ZSH shell and a lot more. Now for those who are not familiar with Hoonix, let's talk about what Hoonix is. Hunix is an operating system that is an anonymous-based system that runs like an application and routes internet traffic through the Tor network, specifically designed for security and privacy. It's based on Debian, but it also has hardening by the Kick Secure project, and it also runs inside multiple virtual machines on top of the host system. So it's not intended to be used as a separate system. You could use it on top of your existing system and still get the benefits from Hunix. Now, this architecture provides a substantial layer for protection from malware and IP leaks and stuff like that. Hunix consists of two VMs, the Hunix Gateway and the Hunix Workstation. Now, the Gateway runs to the Tor processes, and it also acts as a gateway, as you would imagine, while the Workstation runs user applications on a completely isolated network. The Hunix team describes this or architecture as being innovative, allowing for maximum privacy and keeping applications in check and makes DNS links impossible, end quote. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Hunix or Hunix in general, you'll find links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show and want to be kept up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, then be sure to subscribe. And of course, remember to like that smash button. If you'd like to support the show and the network, then consider becoming a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash membership, where you can get a bunch of cool perks like access to patron-only sections of our Discord server and much, much more. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt at tuxdigital.com slash store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other great stuff we have like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, coasters, and so much more at tuxdigital.com slash store. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell, and I'll see you next time for another episode of your source for Linux. Good news.